All right, you're in congregational government, church, P-O-L-I-T-Y. Polity simply means the organization of the church. Uh, interesting, I heard, uh, if you talk about the church, that the uh, Christ would be like the president, the vice president would be the Holy Spirit, but they said, no, he's the nervous system. So I like that. The, the Holy Spirit's the nervous system that keeps us uh, working together and prompts us and charges us and gets us going and motivates us. And so just interesting thought as well. Maybe you're probably thinking I should start listening to different podcasts about this time. Uh, church, Baptist polity, distinct church groups. If you have your book open or we can simply listen together uh, to this as an intro, uh, obviously we can't cover everything in the book, and that is fine. We don't have to. The word polity designates any form of organization or government. Different denominations, as you well know. Catholics are governed by a bishop of Rome and other bishops. The various branches of Anglicanism, Eastern Orthodoxy, Methodism are governed by bishops. And sometimes they are called district superintendents. Presbyterian Reformed churches are governed by representative bodies that operate at various levels of authority. Plymouth Brethren Assemblies are governed by self-perpetuating boards of elders a system, by the way, is very popular among independent evangelical churches even today. Elder abor- it's called elder rule, perpetuating boards of elders. Baptists, however, different from these churches in a form of polity or governance. They adopt Baptist belief churches ought to be governed congregationally. And so that's what Baptists have believed and taught. And interesting, you know that Methodist Church has split recently. Did you know that? Uh, there is, as of uh, in June 16th, there was 5,800 churches have left the, the United Methodist Church. Matter of fact, the big church over in uh, Flatwoods, Advance, is now part of the global Methodist communion of churches. And so they had a choice to disassociate over the LGBTQ issue. Uh, that's why they left. Interesting, there's one church I was just reading. Uh, Stephen Sparks, pastor of the Maple United Methodist Church in Mississippi, feels called to align with the global Methodist Church. More than half of the members of Maples likewise believe that the vote or the church should not be part of the United Methodist Church, but the movement to disaffiliate failed by 20 votes. votes. Some members of Maples United Methodist Church voted to stay because they did not see a theological reason to leave, sadly. Others felt loyal to the denomination that they have called home. Sparks believes some were put off by the nearly $600,000 disaffiliation price tag. $600,000 to disaffiliate with with the uh, association. So that's why we are one reason why we're Independent Baptist Church. We are congregationally, I'm not boohooing other associations, but that's part of what the joy of, if you would, of being an independent church, whatever denomination you are, we're not affiliated with or have to send money to an organization. And and the church, well, God owns. This is God's church. It should not be run by any man, the pastor, or anybody. I'm just an under-shepherd. But we are grouped together, and so this this belongs to the church body, the building, etc., by the gracious giving of people, etc. And so, but this is not someone, so if we... We're not leaving it, and so someone from Milwaukee, Wisconsin can say, okay, you have to give us this amount of money to disaffiliate disaffiliate with us. We don't have to do that. So this is, if we want to discontinue the church, we fold up the doors. I'm not sure how to sell it, what we do there, but Lord willing, we'll come to that. So that's different, different directions. Uh, We believe in congregational rule, distinct from democracy. Now, democracy is brute rule. I like that sort of, brute rule, if... 
51% of a group, if we have 500 people, easier, 100 people, and 51 want to do it, and 49 don't, well, the 51 carries, and we've got to go with what they say. That's democracy. But we, have, it's, we don't have like democracy like that, because we have, if you studied in your outline, and we find that the, before the church counts the votes, it weighs counsel. Some counsel are weightiest, perhaps the pastor and the deacon board, etc. But also there are those who are not official. The unofficial leaders are those who have wisdom and direction. So you ask them, like, what do you think? And we have a, a business meeting, or what are your ideas on this? And so we have counsel together, and we have counsel, we talk it over. If there's any yay or nay, questions about this, and we vote on it. So that's what we do as a Baptist church. Others have more a different way of doing that. But that's, it's not really democracy as much as it's congregational rule, as you well know. We are actually, are we even a democracy? Republic. We are in a republic. Correct. Good answer. Uh, so then on page 94, you have congregational competence. Uh, congregational competence. Now what does competence mean? If you were to ask me, are you a competent player of the banjo? No, pastor's not a competent player of the banjo. He's hardly even a competent player of the piano, let alone the banjo. Competence means, are you able to do that? Are you, are you a competent uh, CPA, pastor? No, I'm not. I don't have, the, I don't have the, the, the credentials to do all those things. If you're reading from 94, it is page 94, some people have argued vigorously against congregational polity or governance. Not uncommonly, they suggest that ordinary church members called God's sheep are too immature, obtuse, or unruly to be entrusted with the responsibility of making decisions for the church. So, congregational competence. There are those who shy away. Oh, no, we've got to have people in charge. We've got to have like one or two people make decisions for the entire church. And so, because the sheep just can't do it. So, but we learned last week, individual soul liberty. Christ became wisdom for the believer. Holy Spirit's given for understanding. And he has the mind of Christ. So, it's not just a ruling board or even just a pastor, assistant pastor, whomever. That is, we are working together. Wrong direction. Sorry, my bad. Whoop, boop, whoop, boop, boop. Let's try it again. One more time. Maybe that's all it was. I guess that's all it was. <laughs> Wrong direction. There we go. Yes, there should be something right there. Anyway, maybe it's later. So, but, so when we think about this, so first of all, in your book, page 95, how would you respond to the argument that church members aren't trustworthy enough to make decisions? It's almost like it's a very unkind thing to say. If you don't, if we don't, it should be, yes, we should be, yes. Church members have individual soul liberty, evidence that they have the competence to make decisions. This description, sharply on page 95, contrasts with the Baptist understanding of soul liberty, including the competence of the believer, as it explored in previous chapter. Further, it fails to explain, if you have a board of elders, how, they, how can we say there? The only ones who are competent. So if you have like a board of 50 elders, how can we say, well, they're the, well how do we know they are? Because we all have the same spirit, do we not? We all have the capacity to understand God's word? Yes. It sort of harps back to, look at 1 Corinthians now, one let We'll go right to there now. 1 Corinthians one twenty four. One of how many books Paul wrote in the Bible? One of 
13. If you say at Hebrews, you would say 14, but we can't say that for certainty, so we'll stick with just the 13 we know. 124, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, anybody who's not a Jew, you don't have to be Greek, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. If you're, if you're a child of God, you, are, you have the wisdom of God. It sort of smacks of the dark ages because God is the wisdom for all of us, for the believer. Dark ages time, as you well know, perhaps you don't know, I've not studied it too far, but I know that they, were, they would sit in the pews and the Roman church would tell them what they needed to know. They could not even hear and understand Latin. If I went to a, a Latin service today, I would get nothing out of it. And so they had to just rely upon, there was no Bible to read. Printing press, was it 1452, 1450, the printing press is formed, so they didn't have their own Bible, maybe a page to pass around. And so now, though, we have the privilege of having God's Word for ourselves, a sort of smacks of dark ages time, if you say the church can't do it as a whole, and then look at 2.12, 2.12, same book, 2.12. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So when he received the Holy Spirit, did, did he just teach some? Now, we believe in the gift of teaching, or the gifts of helping, or the gifts of ministering, or the gifts of preaching, or the apostolic gifts, etc. Not everybody has the gift to teach, but I'm telling you, everybody as a Christian has the Holy Spirit as their teacher. If they will but ask, if they will study, he will help them. And we're just talking today to my co-worker there, and how the Bible is just so, it's living, it's like a person can read it and study for 50 years, he says, and yet you can go through it and they learn something new because it's alive. It, it's living, breathing, it's the Word of God, quick and powerful. Quick means alive. Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus is the Word, and this is the Word. So I think Jesus and the Word are inseparable because he is called the Word. And that's my personal opinion, but I think even from Scripture you would see that Jesus and his Word are inseparable. They will last, he will last forever and ever and ever. All believers then, not just the pastors or a board, have the mind of Christ. And B, church members make competent decisions. Look at Acts chapter 6 now. Acts chapter 6, the first six verses there. Acts chapter 6. All right, we are qualified to render judgment. Look at chapter 6, verse 1, we find there, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye... Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and their names are outlined, therefore, and saying, it pleased the what? Whole congregation. So it wasn't like the disciples said, listen, we're going to pick these three, or you can pick these seven people, and you must approve them. It's like, no, you pick them, and then we will appoint them, verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed and laid hands on them. So it wasn't the, the 12 disciples or apostles choosing them. Clearly, it was 
the group, the whole multitude, and look ye out among them seven, to find in the church had made, they made a competent decision. They showed confidence in the congregation they did on page 96 to choose, manage this distribution. The disciples had hardly have committed the choice to a congregation if they were spiritually inept. They're not going to say, okay, you have no business. Yes? So we all, we all similarly, men and women, we all similarly have the same spirit. You can grow in the Lord as much as you want. You can learn, and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. There is a, now, some have the gift of ministry or have the gift of preaching or teaching, etc. We understand that. But we all have the same spirit. And you have gifts I don't have. I have gifts perhaps you don't have. But the, the, the fact of learning God's word, we all have the same privilege together. Congregational authority. We, first of all, we find in number three, congregation selected servants. And there are clear examples of that. Page 96, top of 96. We look at the cases in which the servants are actually chosen. We discover a number of instances instances, sorry, in which congregations did the selecting. We find no clear instances, however, in which the church leadership did the selecting without the congregational approval. Now, here comes the rub. There's a lot of what is called today, we would call them elder rule churches. I'll tell you, whenever you look at the pastors or elders, it's always plural in the New Testament. And they're going to say, well, now no, we see there should be people, and we're going to look at these in just a moment. The elder rule pastor is, a, for example, would be, I believe, John MacArthur's church. He is the teaching pastor, but they have elder rule. They have a lot, of, and that, we're not necessarily, that's just something we have chosen not to do. Baptist polity typically is congregational rule. You don't have, you don't have a singular head pastor. You have the elders who rule together. We have a teaching pastor. I think John McCarthy, we would call him the teaching pastor. But there are others who are just on the same authority level, and it's ruled by elders rather than ruling by a singular pastor. So that's the difference. So that's why we're going to look at these verses here in just a moment. That's why the book says on 96, we find no clear instances, however, in which the church leadership did the selecting without congregational approval. So that's why. Whenever you have a new pastor, next pastor you call, he comes and preaches. However, Mendeca said, we want to bring him to church, the church, and then the church asks questions. And then the church votes, yay, nay. So that's congregational rule. In Acts chapter 6, if you look at verse 6 there, how did the apostles respond to the congregation's choices, well, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, etc. So they said, yes, we, these, these men, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, etc., Nicholas, etc., these men, we accept them, and we go, we're on board with that. Two observations. First, the apostles provided leadership, advancing a solution to the problem. Congregational polity does not do away with the necessity of church leadership. So we do need someone to, 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 to lead, to direct the church, to call uh, the candidate to come to the church, the candidate for the pastorship, etc., to do this. We need someone to do that. Also, secondly, the decision was made the congregation was responsible to choose the seven servants. So the pastoral said this, you pick them out, they pick them out, you choose them, and then they laid hands on them and approved them. And so approved of them. So congregation selected the servants. Look at Acts chapter now, verse 11, chapter 11, sorry, 19, 11, 19 of Acts. Why do we go to chapter? Or why do we go into Acts? Because this is the early church. 
This is the bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles. That would be the book of Acts, chapter 11, 19. Now, when they had scattered abroad upon the, perse- upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenice, Phoenice, and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they had come into Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And then the tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, And when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added to the Lord. So we find then they chose, if you saw in there earlier on, they sent forth. So it was the church of Barnabas, we want you to go to Antioch and see what's going on, so you're going to go as our representative. So really, when we take on a missionary for support, they are really, uh, the Ibans, specifically the Bastos. Right now, the Bastos are representing the Salvadors, our church, church family in the Philippines. So we have decided together to partner with them, and so they asked Barnabas to go and find out. So the group chose together. We choose together also missionaries we support. Other denominations, you send your money in. If you're a Southern Baptist, you send your money into the missionary fund, and then they send the missionaries out. You don't really necessarily choose what missionaries you want to support. You send it to the missions fund, and then they would send the missionaries out from there. Comparable episodes there are found in Acts 15, 1 to 3 which we'll look at forever. Let's go ahead and turn to Acts 15, 1 to 3, because that's going to be our next place we're going to go to, I believe. Acts 15, 1, 2, and 3. And certain of them which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go upon up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So they determined... Paul and Barnabas have got to go. And then you know the whole story here, the Council of Jerusalem. We find that they're going to come down. The Judaizers have said the Gentiles have got to be circumcised to be saved, and they've got to come under the umbrella of Judaism. Paul and Barnabas said, no. That's why we're preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, because we're all of, you know, the church is not Jewish and Gentiles. The church is one. There are Jews and there are Gentiles, but we're all together. Do not put Christianity under Judaism. Now, there are some questionable examples. Let's look at these before we pass on. Uh, Acts 14, 23, we find there are two questionable examples regarding this. Now, if you are a believer in elder rule, you're going to turn to Acts chapter 14, 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. In your book on 97, it says, Paul and Barnabas are said to ordain elders in every church. Similarly, Paul commanded Titus to ordain elders in every city. In Titus 1.5, do these texts constitute clear evidence that congregations should not choose their own elders? And the answer is no. They don't clearly say that. They're a little bit ambiguous. Matter of fact, if you look at the verb tenses, we're not going through all of that. But kind of ambiguous, it doesn't mean the congregation was not part of it. It doesn't mention, it's like, for example, in the Bible, blind Bartimaeus. There were actually two men, but the one who got notoriety, blind Bartimaeus, but two were healed that day. And just because 
the demoniac of Gadara? Was he the only one there? There was actually another. So just because one account doesn't include all of the involved and all the other gospel writers does not mean it's wrong. It just means it focuses on that. So when it says there that Paul, in our text in 14.23, and when they had ordained them elders, and who's to say the congregation had not already picked them out like they did in Acts chapter 6? We can't say with apodictic certainty they had not. So we find it also, let's read the other one before we leave it. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Titus 1, 5. If you would there please. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Titus, Philemon. Titus 1, 5. It says, For us here, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I appointed thee. That's a synopsis. Very possibly not included in the synopsis was, of course, now you're going to use the normal Baptist, not Baptist, normal church polity and have the congregation draw them out and work with them and not just ignore the congregation. By the way, if you have people who just simply pick someone out without the congregational approval, it could immediately cause discord. If you, and you well know, other denominations send a pastor. I know Methodists have, I'm not sure all Methodists do, but they send the Methodist pastor for two years. There you go. You're out there two years, and then, you're, and then someone else comes for two more years. I, that, that's the way they want to do that. Now, sometimes maybe you get a pastor you really enjoy, hate to see him go. Perhaps the first day the new pastor comes on, you wish his two years over, over already. But see, that's, but see, that when the congregation approves it, then you have more of it, can have a lot better chance of unity, and that is Baptist polity direction. Congregations are held accountable also for their servants. Choosing their servants, Acts chapter 11, verse 2, we find that when, when Peter comes back from talking to Cornelius, he has to justify his actions. Chapter 11, verse 2 says, And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of this uncircumcision, contended with him, but he goes on and explains what he has done. Chapter 11, verse 18, And when they had heard these things from Peter, they held their peace and glorified God, saying that hath, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Do we in Baptist churches hold folks accountable sometimes? Absolutely. I think, yes, head shaking. The Reisingers aren't part of our missionary family yet, but they are being held accountable for what they're doing with their time, how far. When we have one of our missionaries come in and they show their slides and tell what's happening in their work, they're being held accountable. When you know you're going to have to... I have, these, I have a call tomorrow. I don't think I have to present anything. But when I have, these, I have the budget calls and the projection calls, I've got to be ready because they're going to hold me accountable because I have to send the spreadsheet to them in Frankfurt and they have it up on the screen for everybody to see who's on the call. And so I've got to have my ducks in a row, quack, 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 or I'm going to get in trouble because I'm being held accountable. Sorry for the quacks. I held accountable for those things. So when the missionary comes, in a way, we rejoice with them, but we also, it provides accountability. When the missionary sends their prayer letters, all those prayer letters back there, it's accountability. And so that's how we do it. And so our church, the treasurer, Mr. Mulatto, keeps great records, and he has accountability where the money comes in. We have those records. We have two men sign. The two men that usher back there, they sign accountability. 
When I take the teens on their shopping trip, I give them their money, they account it, and they sign the paper. Accountability, that they've received it. And so that's all part of it. And so churches are allowed in many degrees, or many ways, several ways, at least a few ways, to ask for accountability. Interesting question 9 on 97 in 27, 14, 27, imagine that you were in a congregation that heard the report from Paul and Barnabas. How would you think the report would affect you? Let's turn over 14, uh, 27, Acts 14, 27, says for us here, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how they'd opened the door of faith unto the whom? Gentiles. Now, if you're a staunch Jew, thinking that God only talks to the Jews, and they read that letter, ooh, can you, well, matter of fact, verse 15, or chapter 15, they had no small dissension with them, because the, the Judaizers had said, except you be circumcised. So there is a great friction brewing. Chapter 15, by God's grace, they were able to answer the questions. The Gentiles do not have to become Jews to be in the church, etc. Do not need to be circumcised, etc. And so God answers that, all of that, in chapter 15, gives wisdom and direction. And finally, congregations hold members accountable as well. Remember, we are, the rule is we interpret the ambiguous, difficult, confusing passages by the clear passages and congregations can hold servants accountable, and they can hold members accountable. A church can do that as well. We are to, and we find then in Acts chapter 15 as well, talking about how the church of Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. What's going on? We need to understand, do the Gentiles have to be circumcised to join the church? And what's, because it's causing a big issue with us. Church at Jerusalem did not tell the church of Antioch what to do. Nor did the church of Antioch tell Jerusalem church what to do. They were individual entities. But they as a congregation worked through it. By God's grace, evidently, this took place in front of the entire congregation. In verse 15, we find it in chapter 15, verse 22, and we'll close. We'll see here when they were talking over this. And it, it pleased it, the apostles and elders, with the whole church and chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, named Judas, their name Bersabbas, and Silas, chief men. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, etc. The whole church worked together. Congregational polity or practice or voting, I would say, that word. Thoughts or comments. Governance. We are congregation ruled. That's the typical Baptist mindset. That's why we're different than other. Why we're not part of association. We have to be. Can you imagine six hundred thousand dollars to disaffiliate? There's some. I, I, I struggle with that. I mean, why, why could you charge that? Because the because the conference owns your building. If the conference owns your building, then they can dictate to you how much they expect to get back from that facility you've been using. So, also. Like for a mission mission agency, it's obviously Mr. Mr. Reisinger talked about the church about that. How it's important also for them to have support when they get on the field. BMI has a whole lot more fingers and able to help them if a problem approaches. Some would say no, just the church sends out, and you got to decide for yourself: is it going to be a church? Just the church sends us, or are we going to be involved in a mission agency? Mission agency has really come through in many different times to help them. When you get a good mission agency to help you along.
Let's pray. Lord, help us as a church body. We are under your leadership. I certainly don't want to be the dictator or the, the whatever you want. I just want to be the servant who, under your direction, leads our church. I want to lead it in the direction you have it to go. May we as a body work together well in unity. Thank you for the unity of our church. May we not take that for granted. Be with us now as we head out the door. People we get this contact this week, be at the Bible school down in Greenup. Be with those who are not feeling well, can't be here, those who are out of town, etc. May we honor you. May our services Sunday we'd see maybe some visitors, maybe some people to respond to the gospel. If you'd be pleased, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.